Hey guys, Abel here, back with another video. As you can see, I am wearing my Team 4 ROM t-shirt and that is absolutely fitting because in today's video, I'm gonna talk about exercise selection. And um, more specifically, our topic is what makes an exercise good? So what are the factors that will determine whether an exercise is good at working a given muscle group that you want to work? And I hope that this video will be helpful and practical. I will try to not get too pretentious with a bunch of fancy language unnecessarily. And hopefully by the end of it, I will have created a nice bridge between the biomechanics guru, this is how you optimize like every inch of every exercise. And even though this exercise is almost perfect, it can still be further optimized. And if you're not doing it, you're wasting your time. So that kind of mentality. And then the super bro mentality that is just saying, ah, it all doesn't matter. Don't even think about exercise selection. Just go to the gym, do some heavy squats, bench and deadlift, and your muscles are gonna be perfectly well developed. And you know, so that mentality as well, which is also problematic. Uh, here, I would actually mention that there is those two extremes when it comes to the mindset over exercise selection. And then there is a third mindset, which is actually the one that is irking me the most. And that is the type of individual that is super hardcore about hypertrophy training and building muscle. At times, these people are even bodybuilders and, and coaches themselves. So this is their livelihood effectively. And they are super hardcore about some aspects of bodybuilding. So they will actually do some fairly time and effort intensive things like training twice a day and consuming intra-workout carbs and things like that. And then when I look at the exercises they are doing, it kind of gives me the vibe that they are not really thinking too much about their exercise selection. And to me, that's just um, very hard to wrap my mind around because sure, it's fine to not be overly analytical about your exercise selection. From some people, I can totally accept that mindset. But if this is the meaning of your life effectively, so building muscle and maximizing hypertrophy is the first thought that you have in the morning and the last thought you have before going to bed. And then you're not actually thinking about the movements that you're doing to build that muscle that you want to build. To me, that is just super weird. So anyway, hopefully you will not have fallen to either of these weird mindsets by the end of this video. And so with that, uh, let's actually jump into it. So the first thing that I want to say is that the perfect exercise does not exist. And that is not just an obligatory disclaimer that I'm making here. No, there is actually no such thing as a perfect exercise. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is just the limitation of the equipment that we have available. In some gyms, that's much better than in other gyms. For example, in my gym, there are a bunch of machines, at least like 25, 30 of them. And I can tell you that at least 50% of them are garbage. I mean, in some cases, I'm actually not sure if the people who design those machines have ever lifted themselves or even seen people working out, because if they did, I'm pretty sure they would have gone about designing those machines differently. But even if we are talking about an exercise that is almost perfect, they could always be optimized even further. So to give you a couple of examples, a pendulum squat, for example, which only the better gyms will have. And admittedly, that is a fantastic exercise for the quads. Great range of motion. It takes out the lower back from the exercise pretty well. For a lot of people, it is going to come pretty close to being a perfect exercise for the quads. 
But still, if that machine was designed differently, for example, in a way where there was also tension on the quads in the fully shortened position, so where you're stretching your legs out, that at that point it would not just be a lockout, but there would actually be still resistance on the quads, that machine would be even better in that case. Or, for example, uh, behind the back cable curl. So you're standing up, the cable is behind you, and you're curling up like that. That is actually fairly close to being the perfect exercise for the biceps because there is great tension on the biceps in the stretched position. Then as you're curling the weight up, you can lean forward a bit and then you can actually hit the biceps also in that peak contracted position. So it's a great exercise. Now, a couple of years ago, I was at the FIBO Expo in Germany and there I tried out this bicep curl machine. And the way the machine was set up is that it had this weird forearm support. So effectively, you could curl without having any stress on the forearms whatsoever. So all you felt was your biceps contracting and nothing else. And I was doing the curls with that machine and I was thinking, man, like this feels so good. Like a bicep curl is not supposed to feel this good. I never had such a comfortable feeling during a curl exercise. So there you go. Like a behind the back cable curl is very good, but still it could clearly be optimized even further. Or for example, let's look at a pullover machine, which once again is almost the perfect exercise for the lats. I mean, it's completely isolating them. There is no grip that is limiting you. So what you have during pull downs and chin ups and rows and all pulling exercises, basically the biceps is take, taken out of the movement, which again is going to be a limiter in all pulling exercises. So if you want to exercise your lats, I mean, it doesn't really get that much better than a pullover machine. Now, still, it could be optimized even further. So with basically all the pullover machines that I've seen so far, your elbows will be a little bit flared out. So if it was designed in a way so that you could fully adjust everything so that the line of pull is just ideal for your body proportions, so your elbows could be a little bit more tucked in, it would be even better for the lats still. So even something as amazing as a pullover machine could still be optimized even further. And that is actually bringing me to another point is that even if all of those things were fully optimized, muscles have multiple functions in almost all cases. So for example, a pullover machine is perfect, almost perfect in making use of the shoulder extension function of the lats. Okay, so the main function of the lats is this, bringing your arms down in front of you, that is shoulder extension. And so the pullover will achieve that perfectly well, almost perfectly well. But another function of the lats is shoulder adduction, bringing your arms down at the side. So bringing your arms down like this. For that, the pullover machine is not going to be perfect. For that, you would need something like a pull-up or a wide grip pull-down or a one-arm pull-in where your arms are coming in from the side. So because of that, it, it would actually be really hard to design any sort of equipment or machine which is hitting the muscles through all functions perfectly well. So for that reason, it's almost futile to search for the perfect exercise. And that's why we usually do multiple exercises for all muscle groups. That's why exercise variety is kind of a good thing. And by the way, it's almost a good thing that there is no such thing as a perfect exercise because even if there was, 
over time, you will benefit from more volume, so more sets over the course of the week. And as an extension of that, over time, you will also benefit from more frequency. And so doing the same exercise multiple times a week, say more than two times a week, could actually get you into some weird overuse injury issues. So even if there was such a thing as a perfect exercise, you would probably still benefit from exercise variety. So that would be on that topic. Uh, now, a few things, or actually one thing that I won't mention in this video, I'm just gonna say it in advance because I know that there will be comments asking for that is, how good does an exercise feel? So I'm not really going to talk about the mind-muscle connection, how good of a pump you're getting from that exercise, how sore are you getting from an exercise. Not that those things are completely, completely irrelevant. So for example, if your biceps is getting pumped from a curl variant, then yeah, at the very least, it tells you that yeah, your, your bicep definitely worked during that exercise. There is a reason why you didn't get a pump in your quads, for example. Same thing with soreness. So if your hamstrings are getting sore from a stiff-legged deadlift, then yeah, it does tell you that your hamstrings did work during that exercise. But at the same time, these things can be influenced by so many other factors, which are not strictly related to how effective that exercise is. So for example, how good of a pump you're getting, that is influenced by the rep range, it is influenced by the range of motion, it is influenced by how constricted your limbs are while you're doing an exercise. So for example, everybody, almost everybody will feel their quads working a lot more during a leg extension, even if it's a crappy machine than a leg press. Me, for example, if I do a high rep set of leg extensions, I will feel my quads a ton. They will be pumped, they will be burning. And if I do a heavy set of leg presses, there is no question that my quads have been working. I mean, I can, like, you can just look at my range of motion. You can see what my quads and my knees are doing. They are extending. The range of motion at the knee is pretty big. So there is no way in hell that I was moving, I don't know, like 250 kilos without using my quads a ton. But I wouldn't say that I feel my quads being pumped or even just working in general during the leg press. The only thing I'm feeling on the leg press is that I wanna die, that I'm about to break in half and being crushed by that heavy ass weight. So for these reasons, I think the subjective feelings are not that informative as, as a lot of people like to make it out to be. Now, of course, all else being equal, it's better if you feel a muscle working really well on a machine or any kind of equipment. So for example, if you had two chest press machines and all of them had the identical range of motion, like in all aspects that we're gonna be talking about here, but on one machine you felt your chest contracting and stretching a lot better than on the other machine, then yeah, I would say pick that machine instead. Like don't just go for the shittier one in that regard, just because, well, it doesn't matter. So I might as well pick the shittier one where I don't feel anything. So of course, all else being equal, feeling a muscle really well during an exercise is better. But oftentimes all things are not equal. For example, in the case of the leg extension and the leg press. So for that reason, I won't be belaboring that point too much, but I thought I would address it before I get into the factors that I'm gonna be addressing now. So with that, the first factor that I'm gonna be addressing here when it comes to what makes an exercise good is that the movement pattern that you're using during an exercise should be very similar or the same as the actual function of the muscle. Okay, so each muscle has a given function that it does within the musculature and just the human body in general. And actually on that point, I would say that one of the best things that you can do for your development and overall, I guess, fitness education 
is to just get a very basic understanding of muscle or muscular functional anatomy. And it could be as simple as just simply typing into Google, you know, lateral delt function or latissimus dorsi function. And you will see all kinds of cool animations and, and charts and whatever, which will show you what a given muscle does. So for example, with the chest, this is their main function, which is horizontal, adduction, right? And horizontal flexion, maybe I showed it the other way around. The main function of the lateral delts is this, which is shoulder abduction. So just getting a basic understanding of these things is going to make good exercise selection a lot more intuitive. And also it will spare you a bunch of questions that you would normally be asking from your favorite experts or fitness buddies or whatever, okay? So with that, yeah, the movement pattern during an exercise should be similar to the actual function of the muscle. So we mentioned the lats just a moment ago. So this is the main function of the lats, as I mentioned. So shoulder extension and then shoulder adduction. Now, if you want to ask a question like, what's a better exercise for the lats? A chin-up or a row? Now, during a chin-up, what are you doing? Your arms are up high and then you're bringing your arms down in front as you're pulling yourself up. That is actually mimicking shoulder extension, okay? Like if you were to do this chin-up movement with your arms or your elbows straightened out, then you would be doing this. You would be doing a perfect shoulder extension movement. Now, in reality, it's actually not perfect because at the top during a chin-up, there's no real tension on the lats. Like it's mainly the lower traps and some other muscles that are initiating the movement. But once your arms are kind of diagonal like this, then it's actually a perfect shoulder extension movement. If you're looking at a row, how does that look like? Your arms are out in front of you, like in this zombie kind of movement. And then you're bringing your arms in like this. You're pulling your elbows to your torso. And so if I was to do that with my elbows straightened out once again, it's also a shoulder extension movement, but the range of motion is just much, much smaller. So which one is better, a chin-up or a row for the lats? I think it's, it's self-explanatory. Now, of course, we can still make some arguments for including a row for other reasons, like maybe in this shortened position. So once your elbows are at your side, maybe in that position, it will hit the lats better than a chin-up, but not that much better if you're looking at a chin-up from a side view. So in my opinion, just looking at the function of the muscle and functional anatomy kind of answers these questions pretty well by itself. And I think it's good to be thinking about these things and not just go with a very kind of bro conventional way of thinking where you just say, well, I mean, you know, for the lats you do, you know, rows and, and pull downs and that's good enough. I think it's good to be just a little bit more analytical than that because anytime you're doing one exercise, especially something relatively demanding like a row, especially a bent over row, you're basically choosing to not do another exercise. Like for any lift that you're doing, you're saying no to a different lift. And of course you could say, well, you can just do both of those lifts, but you know, any movement is an opportunity cost. Basically, that is taking away from your recovery. It's taking away from the time allotment that you have for that gym session. So it's good to be a little bit more picky and choosy with your lifts and just invest a little bit more brain power. And that's going to serve you very well. Oh, and by the way, just a final point on this whole thing. So if you do invest that little bit of extra brain power into this whole thing and you think about the function of the muscles, then it becomes crystal clear very fast why the just bench, deadlift and squat bro mentality is just stupid. Because I mean, sure, that's gonna get you somewhere, but what is gonna happen with your lateral delts? It's gonna be super clear that your lateral delts, side delts 
are going to be understimulated and underworked very heavily. For your biceps, it's also not going to be optimal. Even if you do some chin-ups, which are actually decent for the biceps, like you're not going to be hitting your biceps in their stretched position. What about the hamstrings? Yeah, the deadlifts are going to be working them to some extent, but there is no knee flexion in your program. So you're going to miss out on that as well. So it's going to be very clear why this very simplistic mentality and very minimalistic mentality is fine, but from an optimality aspect, it's just stupid. And I would also mention that for a lot of these biomechanics gurus and exercise technique gurus, this is often where their whole wisdom ends. So for a lot of these people, they are fantastic at outlining what the muscles do and what their main functions are, but their thinking just stops there. Like, okay, in theory, this movement pattern or whatever movement pattern is the best for that muscle group. But they completely ignore all the aspects that I'm going to be talking about in the following points, which I think are also important. So don't look at this whole thing super two-dimensionally. This is very important like hitting the actual functions of the muscle is important, but there are other things that are important as well. So with that, let's go to the next point. Okay, so the next point uh, somewhat related is during any given movement, any given lift, there should be no arbitrary limiter that is limiting your performance on that exercise, which is not local acute fatigue in that muscle, okay? So I will give you a couple of simple examples. For example, a BOSU ball squat, okay? Is that gonna work your quads and your glutes? Yeah, of course, you're squatting up and down. But because you're standing on that BOSU ball and it's an unstable surface, another thing that is going to heavily limit your performance is just your stability. Like basically, when are you gonna fall off that BOSU ball? Or another example, maybe a little bit more realistic to many of us, would be grip strength. So for a lot of people, when they're doing Romanian deadlifts or stiff-legged deadlifts, whatever, your grip is basically going to be a limiter before the actual muscles that you want to work will be a limiter. So primarily with a Romanian deadlift, you want to work your hamstrings, your glutes. Those are often a lot stronger unless you have like freakishly strong grip strength than your grip strength, okay? So that's why using straps when you want to do a Romanian deadlift is probably a wise idea relatively early on. When it comes to squatting, for instance, the worst type of squat, barring something mega stupid like a BOSU ball squat, would be something like an overhead squat. Okay, so you're pressing the bar up high like this and you're squatting up and down that way. Sure, it's gonna work your quads, but then your shoulder strength, your arm strength is gonna be a limiter way before your quads would give out. Somewhat better would be something like a goblet squat where you're holding the dumbbell in your hands like this. That would be decent, but once again, I mean, how heavy are the dumbbells gonna be that you can actually hold like this? Maybe you can hold 50 kilos, 60. Very few people, maybe nobody can actually hold 100 kilos, let alone 150 kilos, but a lot of people can actually squat or even front squat 150 kilos, 100 kilos, definitely. So for that reason, a goblet squat, once again, your hand strength is gonna be a limiter before your squat strength would be. And then, it would be still better, but still not ideal to do something like um, dumbbell squat, where you're just holding dumbbells in your hand, like you would do with a dumbbell Romanian deadlift, for example. It's gonna be better because you can also use straps, but still just the setup, like imagine trying to pick up like 50 kilo dumbbells and then standing up on a platform so that the range of motion is gonna be big enough. Like it would be just a pain in the ass and the setup itself would take a ton out of you. So still it's not ideal. And in practice, it's just a lot more convenient to just simply put that freaking bar on your back or in this front rack position and do back squats or front squats. So that is the limit factor principle, very important. 
don't let other irrelevant or non-crucial things to limit your performance on an exercise so that you can actually hit the muscles that you want to hit optimally. The next one, again, fairly obvious is the range of motion principle. So obviously full range of motion is best. The fuller the range of motion is the better. In practice, I would say that you will often have to miss out on at least one part of the range of motion. And if you have to pick which part of the range of motion you're gonna miss out on, it's better to keep the stretch mediated hypertrophy part of the range of motion. So hitting the muscles at long muscle lengths is very, very important. Now there is some decent amount of research emerging that is showing that hitting the muscles in their peak, like stretched position is an independent stimulator of hypertrophy and the shortened range or the shortened end of the range of motion is also very important. But if you have to miss out on one or the other, then rather miss out on that peak contraction during the movements. And of course, once again, this is why exercise variety is a good thing. If you have to miss out on one part of the range of motion, then just do another exercise as well, which is also gonna hit the muscles at that end. So for example, with the chest, Compound pressing exercises are, are gonna be great at hitting the chest at long muscle lengths, but in this peak contracted position, they're not gonna be so great. So that's why it's wise to include something like a pec fly, a cable fly or a pec deck fly, something like that. And then you can really hit the chest through its full range with a variety of exercises. Another aspect of good exercise selection, very, very critical, is how injurious a given exercise is. So some exercises are going to be a better fit for some people than for other people. So some element of this is just genetic. So for example, my elbows just don't love overhead tricep extensions, or at least I cannot really go into this peak elbow flexion, like here my elbows start clicking. So that is just something individual to me personally. For other people, they have similar issues with the knees. For other people, it's their shoulders that is acting up. But some part of it is that some movements just tend to be more problematic for more people on average. So a classic example for this is the behind the neck overhead press. Okay, so you can either press that barbell up behind your back or behind your neck, or you can press it in front of your neck. Now, in terms of actually stimulating the muscles that you want to stimulate, which is mainly the delts, you know, the front delts will get a big hit, but also your side delts are gonna be working a decent amount, your upper traps are gonna be involved, even the long head of the triceps a little bit. So both of those exercises are great in those aspects. However, pressing behind your neck is just far more injurious for far more people. A lot more people have impinged shoulders and just their shoulders in general tend to act up when they press behind the neck. So if they are basically almost exactly as good in how effective they are at stimulating the muscles, then why just not pick the less injurious or less commonly injurious version? So that would be a very easy example. Uh, the same thing could be said about behind the neck or in front of the body pull downs, lat pull downs, like you can pull to your chest or you can pull behind your neck. Both of them are gonna be equally good at hitting the lats, which is the main thing that you want to hit here. So, you know, if all things are equal, basically, then why not just pick the one that is less risky? 
Another thing that I want to mention here, which is kind of relevant, is that some exercises and some movements might be non-injurious and perfectly safe in the short term, but it's kind of a ticking bomb. Like it's only a matter of time until you get strong enough and you start using heavy enough weight until it actually becomes problematic. So I will bring up a personal example, which is probably going to be a painful realization at some point, but I've been just obsessing over these CC squat variations lately. Like I've been doing them on the leg press, so I've been doing CC leg presses. Now recently I started doing these Smith Machine CC squats and they are phenomenal. Like they hit my quads so well. My, like cardiovascularly, I'm barely taxed whatsoever. So I love it. They are fantastic for the quads and my knees feel completely fine thus far. But I just started doing them. And unfortunately, I would not be surprised too much at all if after, you know, three, four weeks, once I up the weight a considerable amount, my knees started acting up. So sometimes something can be perfectly safe in the short term and then it starts becoming not so safe in the longer term. And with some movements, the writing is sort of on the wall from the get-go. Like sometimes you just do something and you feel like, man, it's fine for now, but I don't know what's gonna happen like, I don't know, 20 kilos from now. So it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Our joints don't always agree with what would be best for our muscles on paper. And not all of us have titanium joints like some of these very successful bodybuilders have who can get away with murder, seemingly. So take that into account, of course. If an exercise feels weird, then you know either try to find a different variant of that exercise or modify your technique in a way so that your joints don't hurt. And of course, don't be married to any given exercise. Like if something hurts and you feel like, okay, this is leading to an injury and it's only a matter of time, then just for God's sake, switch to a different exercise. Like even if something is optimal on paper, if you're injured, that's the most suboptimal state that you can get to basically. So always keep that in mind. Don't sacrifice joint integrity and your injury-free status for optimal muscle stimulation. The next thing, so now we're getting to some practical considerations, which again, some of these biomechanics gurus and exercise technique Nazis, not Nazis, gurus once again, tend to ignore. So some exercises are fantastic in many regards, like on paper, they should almost be the ideal exercise for a given muscle group. But because of some logistical, practical considerations, they are just not that suitable, at least as a standalone exercise for that muscle group. So the first thing that I'm going to mention in this aspect is absolute loadability or progression potential. Okay, so basically, how much room do you have to put more weight or to increase the resistance in some way for an exercise? Okay, so a bunch of examples come to mind here. The simplest one out there actually is just that you're going to max out on a lot of machines in the gym. So a lot of machines are great, but the cable stacks, the way they are set up, they are often just not heavy enough. And eventually you will get to a point where you can bang out like 12, 15 reps, even like 20 reps on something like a hip abduction machine and you maxed out the stack already. So at that point, what do you do? Do you just keep doing more and more reps? Well, no, at a certain point, unfortunately, you just have to abandon that exercise. So that would be the simplest example here. Another one could be, once again, the goblet squat. Like on paper, there's nothing wrong with the goblet squat. Like it's a squatting movement pattern. It's very good in basically every way, except for the fact that you have to hold that dumbbell up here. And again, how heavy of a dumbbell can you hold? 
maybe 50 kilos, maybe 60, but you can probably squat a lot more than just 50 or 60 kilos, and you're just not gonna be able to hold the requisite amount of weight in your hands like this. Another thing, maybe less practically problematic for a lot of people would be push-ups. So push-ups in many ways are a fantastic exercise, like the shoulder blades can actually move freely, shoulder injuries are just infinitely less common on push-ups than on something like a bench press. So they are a fantastic exercise, however, absolute loading can become a problem. So you can put weight plates on your back, but um, on your own, you can maybe load up like 20 kilos. After that is gonna be pretty hard. You will have to at least ask someone to put plates on your back in the gym, which can be a little bit like uncomfortable and annoying. You can put weight plates in a backpack, but then that tends to shift around and there is only so many plates that you can pack into that backpack. You can use like a chin-up belt and hang weights off of that if you elevate yourself during that push-up but even that can become sort of uncomfortable and just impractical at a certain point. Like your core strength is gonna become a very significant limiter. And again, it sort of interrelates with the whole how injurious the exercise is aspect. So for example, this Smith machine CC squat, like it's great and actually I can load it really well because I'm using the Smith machine. But if it's only loadable up until the point where my knees start hurting, then I guess the absolute loadability is just not that great. So the progression potential is just not there for that exercise. So this is once again something that you have to keep in mind. Sometimes this is only something that you have to think about once you actually get to the point where you run out of room for progression. But sometimes if you have two exercises to pick from and on one of them you can already see the writing on the wall that okay there's only a couple of weeks until I can progress with this and for the other one it's basically equally as good in every aspect but I can progress with it for longer then maybe it's better to pick the one in which there is a larger progression potential. The next one very closely related is micro loadability so how gradual can be with the progression on that exercise so a classic example is just any sort of cable work for the arms or the shoulders. So cable curls, cable tricep extensions, cable lateral raises, reverse flies, they're all fantastic exercises, but incremental loading is a big issue. So, you know, on a cable stack, the increments will often go something like five kilos, 7.5 kilos, 10 kilos. Now, you know, going from five kilos to 7.5 kilos, if my math is correct, is a 50% jump in weight. Now, would you ever try going from, you know, a hundred kilo squat to 150 kilo squat? Like, I don't think so, that's quite ridiculous but that's quite literally what you're doing on the lateral raise. And so it's not too surprising if someone will go from 15 reps one week to like six reps the next week, which is gonna make progression quite annoying. And you will often have to wait like several weeks until you can progress back in reps. And that can be an issue because micro loading is basically a very helpful thing for just tracking progression. And as I mentioned a bunch of times before, tracking your progress is just a crucial, crucial element of training success. So progression, progressive overload, of course, that's an important factor of just hypertrophy in general, but it's an absolutely crucial aspect from uh, measuring your actual improvement aspect. So if that microloading is not there, then you often just won't be able to use that exercise as a tracking tool or as a measurement tool. And that's kind of a shame because something like a lateral raise is literally the perfect exercise for the lateral delts. Like it actually fulfills the actual function of the muscle. So if you could track your progress on that directly, that would be fantastic. 
but oftentimes you just won't be able to. So you will just kind of bang out those lateral raises week to week and sort of you just have to trust the process that, well, I'm working hard, I'm doing the right movement, like surely I'm improving, unless I'm regressing on the movement, like things must be happening. So actually this is oftentimes why I like to have like one or two movements at least per muscle group on which we can actually measure progression. So for the chest, for example, I always like to include some sort of a barbell type pressing movement. Like it could be barbell, but it could be on the Smith machine as well, just because it's really nicely micro loadable and we can really accurately track progress on that. And then I will also include some other movements like chest flies, you know, like a cable fly, peg deck fly, something like that, which is gonna be great from an overall like complete muscle stimulation aspect. But while of course I want to see progression as well on that, but it's not going to be like, I'm not gonna lose my mind if I'm not seeing like a linear progression week to week, just because I know that it's not realistic simply because of the lack of micro loadability. Okay, so the next one is basically how easy it is to standardize form and technique and range of motion on a given exercise. So essentially this comes down to how easy it is to fool yourself with progress that is not actually real progress. So if I look at something like a bench press, basically there is no real way of faking your progression. Like the movement goes from your chest up until you press out the bar. Of course, I know that not everybody has to touch the bar to their chest. For some people that's excessive range of motion, but in general, there's gonna be a very good endpoint for most people. So you can either press that bar up or you can't. Like there is no way in which you can like really fake that. However, if I look at something like a reverse lunge, which is a great movement for the quads and the glutes, like there is no preset rule about how far you have to step back. And there is no real way of standardizing that. Like you step back and you try to step back the same amount of distance each time, but it's pretty easy to kind of like cheat off from that stepping back distance as you get more and more tired. So then you always have to like question a little bit, like, okay, I went from, I don't know, 12 reps to 13 and then to 14, but was it the identical range of motion? I'm not quite sure. Actually, the same thing can be said about a cable lateral raise, like as great of a movement as it is, like if you just bend your arm like a millimeter more, like you already changed the lever arm, same thing with the bicep curl, like if you just bring your elbows forward like a little bit more, it's easy to cheat a bit. So with a bunch of things, standardization of the range of motion is just not ideal. So for one, I would say that on these movements, it's especially important to pay attention to good execution. And once again, exercise variety. So include these movements as well, but it's also good to have something where you can like really accurately measure your progression. The next thing is how much of a compound exercise we are talking about. So I would say that this is both an over and underrated aspect of good exercise selection. So in some aspects, it can be overrated because some people just prize the aspect of a movement whereby like how many muscles does it actually work? Like they think that that factor is more important than anything else. So like a conventional deadlift, like it hits so many muscle groups, like it hits the rear delts and the lower back and the quads and the hamstrings and the glutes. And that's all true, but if you actually look at how the conventional deadlift is working those muscle groups, then you will see that it's anything from a quarter to like a half range of motion for almost all of those muscles. For a bunch of them, it's of course just isometric, like for the rear delts. So in that aspect, the compoundedness of a movement is an overrated aspect, but it can also be an underrated aspect because again, some of these biomechanics gurus are just so hyper-focused on 
perfectly isolating the perfect movement pattern for a given muscle group that they completely forget about the time efficiency aspect of things. Like we don't have infinite amount of time that we can spend in the gym and we don't have infinite amount of recovery. So if you can have a movement which is gonna be pretty decently working multiple muscle groups, then I think it's wise to make use of that. So if you look at something like a chin-up, like that's going to be a pretty great movement for the lats. It's also gonna be a very decent movement for the biceps, not a perfect movement, but a very decent movement for the biceps. It's also gonna work the rear delts pretty well, the lower traps as well. So I would say that a chin-up is a very wise thing to include in your routine. Same thing could be said about an overhead press. Is it the perfect exercise for the lateral delts? Like, no, it's absolutely not. Like the main function of the lateral delts, like shoulder abduction, it doesn't fulfill that. However, it's actually hitting the lateral delts pretty well in this overhead shortened range, which like a standard cable lateral raise will not. So it's pretty good on that front. For the upper traps, once again, Trap work is kind of a pain in the ass, like a lot of people just don't want to take the time for that. So it's, it's good to have that on the house during an overhead press. Again, for triceps, it's, it's going to be not amazing, but at least it's going to be there. So I would say, like, why not make use of that? So we have a bunch of examples like that. Again, a back squat, perfect example for this. So compound deadness, it's not the most important thing, but all else being equal, I think it's good to take that into account as well. And then the last thing, and this is really just a practical thing, maybe even a debatable aspect, but that is convenience. So some exercises are just such a massive pain in the ass to set up that I would not blame someone super hard if they just chose to not do that exercise. So for example, a deficit hip thrust. Like that is an exercise that's gonna be pretty great for the glutes, but setting it up, man, if you ever tried it, like it's so annoying. Like it only takes a couple of times until you decide that it's just not freaking worth it. I'm just gonna do squats and some like Romanian deadlifts and they're gonna be pretty good for my glutes. Maybe not like ideal, it would still be good to include a hip thrust, but whatever. A back extension is another decent example here. So it's a great exercise, but at some point loading is gonna become a practical issue. So you will have to find some way to load it more effectively and that will often require you to elevate the hyperextension bench or the Roman chair onto something which is gonna be annoying and time intensive. So again, I would not blame someone super hard if they just chose to not do it. And I could list a bunch more examples here actually, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Like sometimes we see exercises on Instagram, like we see a guy doing it and we're like, man, like that's a really smart way of doing that exercise. But then you think about what it would take to actually set that up in your gym and you're like, man, like, come on, like no way, I'm not gonna be bothered with that. So that's another aspect that I think at least is worth mentioning. So yeah, guys, basically that was the final factor that I wanted to mention here. And so hopefully with all these considerations that I mentioned here, now you have a better framework for just deciding which movement is likely going to be better or maybe not so ideal for training a given muscle group. And if you just look through all these factors that we talked about, you will get to see that often some exercises will score really well in some aspects, but not so well in other aspects. So for example, a push-up is better than the bench press in some aspects. So for example, it is better in the aspect that it's a lot less injurious, just to mention one, but from the aspect of being really well loadable, both like in, in an absolute sense, so how much absolute loading it can bear, and also how easy it is to microload it, the bench press is much better. 
where we could look at something like a cable fly versus the bench press. Like a cable fly is arguably a much more and a much more complete range of motion for the pecs. So in that aspect is actually much better. But from an aspect of tracking progression, micro loadability, absolute loadability, the bench press is actually going to be much better. So there are a bunch of things that will make this whole picture a little bit more murky. And it's not as simple as to say, well, these are the factors based on this, this exercise is perfect. And all these other ones are useless. I think anybody who is saying that, while often I will understand where they come from, but I think it's just an overly simplistic way of looking at things. So nevertheless, that was my video for today. Let me know if this was helpful. And if you want to see more content like this, then subscribe. If you've already seen my other content and you like those, including this one, then please hit the like button. If you just hate my face, then please hit the dislike button. It helps growing this channel. So also appreciate it. And of course, um, if you like what I do, like my methods and the way I think about things, and you want to work together with me or want to do a consultation with me to talk through your stuff, then feel free to hit me up and you will find ways to contact me in the video description. With that, I will be thanking for your attention for today and I will see you in the next video.